The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 108. Again, this is Psalm 108. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over all the earth, that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. God has promised in his holiness, with exaltation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter. Moab is my wash basin, upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Park Church, hope you're doing well. My name's Neil. I serve as the Director of Formation and Missions here at the church. It's good to be with you again. Um, and we are rounding out our Christ in the Psalms series for this summer. Uh, Psalm 108 this morning, and then Psalm 109 next week. Uh, we have a, a brief series looking at uh, what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple uh, before getting back into the book of Matthew for much of the rest of the fall. But this psalm that we're in this morning, Psalm 108, um, it's, it's intersected with my life, kind of hit my life in some uh, really helpful but unexpected ways. And so I'm excited to jump into it. So let's, let's pray together before we get into the text. Uh, Father, we're, we're grateful. Um, I'm just so grateful for your word and, and the fact that uh, it's, it's timeless in the most beautiful of ways, that, that it can speak into the particulars and the nuances and the layers of our lives right now. Uh, that, that this psalm, uh, this, this poetic song that was written uh, so many years ago, in, in different situations than we're facing right now, still has relevance for us right now. And so I ask that, that by your spirit, you would help us to, to see that and to feel that and to know the realities of, of your love for us, your, uh, your kindness toward us. Um, yeah, and, and call us into a, a deeper, richer, fuller intimacy with you. Uh, where we need to repent, may we do so. May we, where we need to, to sense your delight in us, may that be uh, the case for us. Uh, but in, in all of it, may we, we taste and see that, that you are good and that you're for our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I had the, the opportunity to spend a handful of months over in Hong Kong and China. And as part of that trip, we would take uh, with a friend here and there little excursions throughout mainland China or elsewhere. And one of those little trips that I took was to the Yunnan province, to Lijiang, and then onto the Tiger Leaping Gorge um, in China. And uh, my friend Ryan and I, we, we were always up for some sort of adventure. Uh, when we heard that, hey, this is one of the deepest gorges in the world, and they don't really have that sophisticated of trails, and some people actually 
fall off the cliffs. We're like, hey, this seems like a really good idea for us to go try this hike. Um, it's amazing to me how now having a couple of kids, my definition of good idea has radically shifted. Uh, but at the time, there was enough foolishness kind of swimming around in, in my soul um, it, that we thought this was a grand idea for us. Well, we, we, we packed our bags and took the plane and landed and uh, began hiking through the Tiger Leaping Gorge. And it was, it was beautiful. Uh, it was enjoyable for us to, to meet some of the, the local people and stay in the, the guest houses along the way and eat the local food. And we got to the end of the trail and it had only taken us a day. You know, Lonely Planet promises like a two to three day thing. We're like, hey, 24 hours later, we're, we're done. I think we went another challenge. And so we, we walked back a little ways and, and found one of the, uh, the local people there and said, hey, we're trying to go ultimately this direction, uh, but we want something else. Like, give us another trail, something else we can hike, um, anything. And, and he, it looked like a piece of printer paper that you know, maybe had some Sharpie lines on it. He's like, hey, th- this is the trail you should take. You know, it's just kind of a squiggle up into the who knows what. And we're like, all right, sounds like, again, a really good idea for us to go follow the direction um, of this map. And so he pointed us in the right direction. And for the next hour or so, um, it felt like we were going at, a, at about a 45-degree angle just straight up this mountain into the, uh, the trees and the brush, and, and we weren't sure what else. Uh, well, as we approached the peak, uh, we're like, okay, certainly uh, once we get to the top, we're going to kind of see that, that town, that village that we're trying to get to next. And we, we get to the top, and we're, we're, we're taking the last sips of water, some of the last sips of water that we have, and taking a little break. We, we look over the edge, and it's just more brush, more trees. And, and to make it a little bit worse, we, we look down to the side, and like, oh, that's, that's a, the skeleton of an animal, like a yak or something. So just like this ominous feel as we, we stand there, and we, we had this, this little debate between us. Uh, do we turn around at this point? Do we keep going or do we, do we go back? And I'm, I'm not very good at, at turning around once I've kind of uh, set my mind, going a certain direction. And, and so I convinced Ryan that, hey, we need, to, we need to keep pressing on. Surely, surely this town that we're trying to get to is just going to be a little bit further. Well, we kept going and, and finally we did see people. We saw a little village. Uh, not the village that we were hoping for, but we're like, hey, at least it's people. We can see if there's a hostel to stay there. Maybe there's some food to eat. Uh, we're getting low on our supplies. And we go there and try to communicate with them, and they have a different dialect than what uh, my friend Ryan had been taking language classes on. And so we couldn't communicate with them. And they were just, the locals were very confused as to why we were even there, it seemed. Um, And so, you know, looking around for a hostel, nothing, a restaurant, nothing. uh, There was a road that ran through the middle of this village. And so we we found kind of a half wall alongside this road, and we sat down, feeling dejected and, and frustrated and not really sure what was next, and t- took our, our literal last sips of water, and I pulled out the last of our food, which is a, a Snickers Marathon bar. We split it and, and, and ate that in silence, um, not really sure what was next. Uh, our energy was depleted. Our resources were gone. Uh, we didn't feel any sense of support or clarity or direction or knowing uh, what was coming for us. Uh, sure, we had each other, but trust was running a little bit thin, at least in one direction uh, at this point of our trip. And, and so there we, we sat there, confused, frustrated, uh, feeling just completely depleted. How often in our lives do we feel something similar? We look around at some of our relationships, 
uh, life decisions that we're making, our, our, our work, uh, this prolonged, strange season that we're in right now, doing the best that we can try to navigate. And we feel like our, our resources are gone, our energy is, is all but spent, uh, that we don't have the support, the, the clarity, the, the direction that we really need. And so we're, we're confused, maybe fear and doubt and, and, and frustration are entering in. I know for me, uh, this season has been marked by a lot of different things. One of those is trying to, to juggle being a faithful husband and father and employee and hopefully a friend to other people, all the while trying to, to, to make sense of all the variables that seem like they're constantly changing um, in this kind of era of a pandemic. You throw on that we've got a, a toddler and a newborn and uh, this virus that's going around with different reports about what that means for us and um, you know, add on layers of a family tension that, that's painful in a lot of ways. We're trying to, to wrestle through that I'm trying to navigate myself right now and seeing my own sin, seeing my sinful responses in the face of, uh, of stress and, and disappointment and, and how to, to handle that, uh, to go before God. Uh, and, and still trying to, to think, what's next? Like, what does the future hold? Uh, does my two-and-a-half-year-old have a preschool to go to in the fall? Uh, what do we do with our current house situation? You know, growing family, do we add on? Do we uh, move? Do we just kind of stay put and figure it out? Uh, so many different layers of decisions that, that, that just feel up in the air. Um, in, in, in the meantime, saying, God, will you still work upon me? Will you still work through me in some sort of way to bear fruit? Uh, to, to honor you, to serve your name, to serve your people, uh, to care for those around me. Um, all of these pressures that, uh, you know, the, the list goes on and, I, and the, it, the list is different for you. Like, there are different things that you're feeling. And even if you're not feeling it in all the different ways, that I'm sure there are certain relationships, certain realities and dynamics that are, that are part of your journey right now uh, where you feel like your energy is spent. Your resources are depleted. You don't have the support, the clarity, the direction that you long for, that you feel like you need. And in those moments, I know it has been for me, it's easy to say, God, are you, are you with me? Like you're actually working on my behalf. I, I feel rejected by you. I feel at least in these areas, maybe not wholesale, but at least in these areas that you're, you're absent in ways that you should be working for my good in a way that I can experience it, the way that I identify as good. Well, that's exactly what the psalmist is experiencing here. Um, we're going to look here in a second at, at verses 10 and 11, but I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation, even with a good friend, and it's not that they're, they're being dishonest with you, they're, they're telling the truth, but it can take a little while in that conversation to get to the harder aspects of truth. Like, oh, now you're actually revealing to me this is what's going on, this is what you're facing, this is what's hard for you right now. Well, that's something of what we have in Psalm 108 when we get down to verses 10. And 11, he says this, Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go out, O God, with our armies. He's saying that, God, it feels like you have rejected us. It feels like you are not here. You're not present. You're not actually working in the way that, that I think you should, that, that in many ways you've promised that you would. And right now I'm feeling the absence. I'm, I'm feeling the opposite of what I feel like I should be. So who is God in the middle of this? Uh, who is God in the midst of feeling rejected, feeling abandoned, feeling like we don't have everything that we need? Well, verses 10 and 11, which we just read, uh, they're, they're sandwiched between, uh, just before it in verses 7 through 9, where our confidence should be found. And then right after it, 
in verse 12, it's, it's where our confidence often goes, our kind of false confidence often goes. What do I mean? Well, look with me in verse 7. It says this, God has promised in his holiness, with exultation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the valley of Sukkot. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah my scepter. Moab is my washbasin. Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. So here God is, is making a promise. He's making an oath based upon his essence, his character, his holiness. And he's doing it with joy, with exultation. And without getting into all the details and, and, and layers to it, uh, the first several lands or peoples that he's describing here, Shechem, Sukkot, Gilead, Manasseh, Ephraim, Judah, uh, in short, he's describing kind of the fullness from east to west, the land that God has promised to give to his people. Saying, this is going to be your home. I will give you rest here. My presence will be made known here. And I will deliver you into this land. And then the last three in verse 9, Moab, Edom, Philistia. This is describing the enemies of God, those who are pushing against God's purposes for his people. Uh, that God must suppress so that they can enter into, God's people can enter into and enjoy the rest of the land, the benefits of the land. Well, what's so significant here is that what God has promised to do, he's actually done it. At the time of, of the writing of the psalm, most likely when this was written, the psalmist was able to look back and say, God, you've actually done it. You know, a lot of the language here, a lot of the, the, the names and titles that are used in that section would, would pull the original reader's mind back to Genesis. You know, the promises that are made to Abraham, Genesis 12 and 15 and elsewhere, of saying, hey, I'm going to give you this land to you and to your descendants. And then if you trace the history of God's people through Israel into the reign of King David, God has actually given them the land. He's actually defeated and crushed the enemies that would threaten their presence in the land, their enjoyment of the land. And so the, the, the psalmist is saying, yeah, as he, he's a leader of his people, representing his people, kind of uh, bringing the, the, the cries and the pleas of the people before God, he's saying, God, you, you've done this before. I, you've made these promises and you've fulfilled them. I, I believe that, I've seen that. Like I have confidence based upon that. But I needed you to do it again. Now, the things that I, I've seen you be faithful in, uh, the ways in which you've shown up and acted on my behalf and behalf of your people, I, I really need you to do that again because right now it feels like you're not. It feels like you're doing the opposite. It feels like you've, you've rejected us and kind of left us out on our own. And when that's our experience, even if we have the backdrop of God's promises fulfilled, when it feels like in that moment he's not being the God that we believe him to be, it's really easy to, to run to some self-made salvation. That's something that we can kind of muster up on our own to provide some sort of sense of deliverance. Look with me at the other end of verses 10 and 11 at verse 12. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. Vain is the salvation of man. Salvation of man is any attempt that we, we try to pull out from within ourselves in, in hopes of securing success. So we kind of, hey, my own resources, my own ability, my own thoughtfulness, um, I can leverage what's around me to bring salvation, to bring deliverance. Well, how does this play out for us? I think in a lot of different ways. Uh, but I want to give at least three buckets that I think captures many of the responses that we have in trying to, uh, to in essence, save ourselves. The first is we withdraw. We, we, we feel the pressures of life. We feel uh, the absence of God or the felt absence of God. And, and we say, well, okay, I'm I'm out. Like we allow those pressures and the, the weight of life to kind of displace us 
And we say the, the way that I'm going to be saved in this is by escaping, by running away, by not having to, to face it. I can avoid it. I can find different ways of, of just getting away. This is going to be my means of saving myself. Well, the second is quite the opposite. We attack. Uh, we, we look at the threat in our lives, whether real or perceived, uh, be it a, a situation or a set of circumstances, a person, a group of people, a, a system, and we say, that's the enemy. I'm going I'm to use all that I have to crush it, to defeat it in my own strength, in my own ability, according to my own wisdom. I'm going to get it out of my life. I'm going to crush it, whether it's through my words or my tone or my posture or my decision-making. I'm going to use my life to, to push this out and to... Uh, to, to attack the threat. And then third, uh, it's manipulation, which, which kind of feels like a, an in-between category where uh, we are engaged, like we're present, but we're doing it in, in kind of this sly, clever, coercive, kind of like subtly coercive way. We're trying to manipulate people into to being and doing what we think they need to be and do so that we're okay for, for personal benefit, for personal gain. And so whatever it is for you, whether you withdraw or you attack or you manipulate or some combination of these or something else that, that you're convicted of that, that I did not name, we all find ways to, to kind of run to self-made salvation. We, we found ways to, to kind of draw upon our own resources and say, I must have the sufficiency in myself. Well, the, the text says that these attempts are vain. They're futile. They're, they're without substance or worth or weight. The same word is used throughout the Old Testament to describe false gods, um, idols that, that were, were worshipped instead of the true God, Yahweh, and, and they would make these promises but never be able to deliver upon them, even if it seemed good for a while. And so they, they whisper these lies to us. And underneath every self-made salvation or form of, of attempted salvation is, is an idol, uh, so, some form of false worship where we're saying, this is going to give me life, this is going to give me hope, this is going to deliver me, and it never will. And yet we're so often deceived. Well, is there any hope? Uh, I believe there is, and I believe the text confirms that for us. Look with me in, in verse 13, the last verse in, verse in the psalm. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. There's this fascinating connection from the book of Isaiah that, that connects beautifully with this psalm. So if you want to flip over to Isaiah 63, I want to read the first four verses. So Isaiah 63, starting in verse 1, says this. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save, why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. It, so, so here we have this, this victor. Uh, this individual who has, who has entered in and, and come out victorious on the other side, saying, I'm, I'm mighty to save, I'm, I'm speaking in righteousness, uh, my, my, my clothes are, are saturated with uh, the blood of battle, and I've come out the other side victorious. Well, well, notice where this victor comes from. Look in, in verse, uh, verse 1 again. Who is this who comes from Edom? 
Edom, the, the same location that is identified in Psalm 108 as the, the source, the origin of all the, the fear and the angst of, of the oppression, of the, the confusion, of the depletion of our resources and energy, and um, the place where we wonder, God, God, where are you? How are we going to win this battle? This individual has entered into the origin, the source of that place, and come back victorious. Well, scholars agree that uh, this prophecy is about Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the, the God-man who entered in, who, who went behind enemy lines, who, who took upon God's wrath upon himself and had himself saturated with his own blood that was spilled, his, his body being broken, and said, I, I'm doing this for my enemies so they may become my friends. I'm taking all of the, the heartache and the confusion. I'm taking all of the, uh, the depletion and insufficiency that you feel, all of the sin and the shame and the guilt. I'm taking that upon myself and I'm coming back victorious. And I'm saying, now is the year of my redeemed. And now is the year of those who call upon me for salvation. So the call for us is to begin to see this Jesus as the one who has entered into the source of all of it. Uh, the source of our confusion, the source of our difficulty, and has come out victorious and says, come and see me, come, enjoy me, come, delight in me. And so, going back to verse 13, when it says, with God, with God we shall do valiantly, the only way that we can be with God is when God becomes God with us. And that is precisely what he has done through Jesus, who was called Emmanuel, God with us. So, where does this leave us? What is to be our response? Look with me back in verse 1 of, of Psalm 108. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast, O God. How can his heart be steadfast? We learned of the difficulty he's facing, the, the, the feeling of rejection from God. How can his heart be steadfast? Well, you actually jump down to verse 4, and it says this. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. The psalmist is grounding his own steadfastness before God in the steadfastness of God's love for him. The only way that he's able to, to, to feel any sense of, of, of constancy or rest or, or, or just confidence that God will work on his behalf, any sense of stability, is because he has so rooted himself in the steadfast love of God. Well, I've kind of backed us into our outline, and so I'm sure frustrating the note takers, but I want to walk through where we've been, and that, that will lead us to three things for us moving forward. First, we saw that we have good reason to believe God will deliver us, verses 7 through 9. But so often we turn to man-made salvation, which we saw uh, later in the psalm. We have good reason to believe that God will save us based upon his character, his prior work, the promises that he's made and, and fulfilled those promises. And yet so often we, we listen to the idolatrous whispers of, of a self-made salvation. We all do it. But second, victory is only found in God with us. You see that in verse 13. God with us, us with God. There, victory is found. We have the God-man Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us. And, and he has come out victorious so that he may enter into the, to, to the struggle, to the battle lines, um, as we navigate this life. And then last, where we are now. Because God is God, our hearts may be steadfast. Because God is God, our hearts may move forward according to his steadfast love, and likewise be steadfast. 
So I want to look at three things that emerge from verses 1 through 6 uh, as we, we look to, to move forward in response to this psalm. First, verses 1 through 4. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. So the psalmist is saying, God, I'm I'm anticipating you are at work and that you will continue to work in a way that I, I will begin to experience it, even though I don't sense it right now. I'm going to kind of leverage my life. As a musician, he's pulling out the instruments and the, uh, the, the songs of praise and saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to have this joyful anticipation, believing that you are at work and you will continue to work. And so what do we have at our disposal? What are the different places and people and relationships and contexts that we have, our work environments, um, our homes, uh, our friendships, uh, that we can we begin, to begin to say, if I believe that God is at work, how, how would I begin to respond? How can I joyfully anticipate that God is at work and he will continue to work? Second, verse five. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He's already said in verse four that that he's confident in God's steadfast love as he's related to his people, kind of the chief way that he's done that in relationship to his people. That, That is infinite. It's beyond the heavens. And yet the hunger, the longing here from the psalmist is that that glory would be extended, experienced by more people in more places, and experienced in his life and on behalf of God's people. And so will you hunger for God's glory? Will you, will you long for, are you actively seeking out God to be experienced and tasted and seen as being good in your life and in the lives of those around you? And then third, verse six, that your beloved ones may be delivered Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. Give salvation by your right hand and answer me. He's saying, I'm pleading before you, God. I'm coming before you and asking, like, please deliver. Please save. My my, my kind of self-made salvations, they're not going to work. I've I've sensed the vanity of that. They're empty. They're worthless. I need you to deliver me. And so he comes back again and again and again and again and again saying, God, please save me. Work on behalf of your people. And so this is where it leaves us. This psalm leaves us in this place of where we feel rejected, where we feel that God is is not working as we think he should, as he has proven himself to do in the past. We must leverage our lives in anticipation that God is at work and he's continuing to work and he will work again. That we must hunger for God's glory, not our own idolatrous sense of of self-sufficiency, but for God to be known and seen. And, and third, to plead with him to work, for, to, for him to, to do something that we can taste and see that you are delivering me now. You're actually working in this situation, in this relationship. So may we go before this God. In fact, I, I want to take just a, a minute now to, uh, to plead with God, maybe to examine our own hearts um, in response to this and say, am I anticipating that God is at work and trusting that, that he is good? Am I hungering for his glory or some other type of glory? And am I truly pleading again and again, repeatedly going back before the throne of grace and saying, God, please work on my behalf. So take a minute now and and, and consider those questions and allow the spirit to to search you and to know you and to expose anything in you that needs to to be repented of, to, to find the freedom and the joy of walking closely with Jesus.